Tonight, Donald Trump breaks another leftist who takes a DNA test to prove she's a minority. It's October 16th, and this is The Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon Why? consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. You come here once a year with a sign, and you feel morally superior. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Elizabeth Warren is of little interest to many Americans. She's just another left-wing senator from Massachusetts which is a famously left-wing state, so no biggie. She's like a blander version of Bernie Sanders. I think Bernie Sanders was actually a success. As you know, he beat Hillary Clinton in the popular vote in the Democratic presidential primary. She only won because she had all the superdelegates, the party brass on her side, but he had a real grassroots success, huge rallies. That's Trump style, isn't it? A real movement because he was authentic like Trump. In Sanders' case, he was an authentic old socialist, to be sure, but he didn't try to make himself a cookie-cutter, blow-dried, processed professional politician. He kept his messy hair. He has that over-the-top Brooklyn accent that sounds like a Jewish grandfather. He was a throwback to an earlier age of radicalism. I think that's why he appealed to young people in particular, to campus liberals, because he seemed much more real than the fake Hillary Clinton and her fake team of spin doctors and focus groups. Young people could tell that Hillary Clinton was the establishment. Bernie Sanders was the revolutionary. His iconic TV ad, I don't know if you ever saw it, I'm gonna play it for each only 60 seconds. Um, it played songs from 60s revolutionary sounds, uh, you know, Simon and Garfunkel. Let, let me just play it. It's one minute. Take a look. Yeah, whatever you say about Sanders, he is real. He's a real socialist. He's really nuts, some would even say. But he is real. I think that's why young people liked him. And why Hillary Clinton was the least likable candidate in a generation. I mean, seriously, Richard Nixon was more appealing than she. And my point is, Elizabeth Warren is sort of like Bernie Sanders, ideologically. She's regarded as being on the left wing of the Democrats. She really is like Hillary Clinton that way, except she's less mean. And she's more left-wing than Clinton. Um, I think Elizabeth Warren comes across a bit professorial, like Bernie Sanders does, because indeed Elizabeth Warren was a professor for years. So Hillary Clinton, minus the baggage of Bill Clinton, minus the corruption and more left-wing. That's Elizabeth Warren. Could theoretically be the first woman president. She'd like to think she could be. She's certainly touted by the media as a leading Democratic contender. I'm a skeptic. 
You know, though, as a woman, there would be no Me Too sexual harassment charges. You know that as a woman, she would inherit the feminist block of votes. And that's not a large block in the real world, but it's the dominant block in the media. She's a lawyer and a law professor, so she'd have those wings of the Democrats in the bag. I think she's a contender, sort of, but I don't think she'll win. But I think she made a deal with the devil. I think she sold her soul to get to where she is. I think it's almost a certainty she would not be where she is. It's likely she wouldn't be a senator if she hadn't been appointed to some key government commissions a decade ago. And it's likely she wouldn't have been appointed to those key government commissions a decade ago had she not been a prominent professor at Harvard, the gem of Massachusetts. And it's almost a certainty that she wouldn't have been appointed a professor at Harvard had she not said that she was a visible minority. And that's the deal with the devil she made. That's when she sold her soul. You hear me right. Elizabeth Warren, the whitest woman in America, got her job at Harvard by claiming that she is a woman of color. I guess white is a color. Now I know what you're thinking. She looks pretty, pretty white to me. I, remember, I wish my teeth were that white. I remember this was before the whole white people saying they're black thing. Remember Rachel Dolezal, white woman who pretended she was black, got a job at the NAACP? This was before the whole thing of men saying they're women, like Bruce Jenner. It was a simpler time back then. But it was still a time when affirmative action was in full tilt at the universities, especially Ivy League universities like Harvard. Everyone in the world wants to attend Harvard as a student, but even more competitive is to be a professor at Harvard. Elizabeth Warren is smart, but she's not that smart. So she got the job by saying she is an American Indian. They still use that phrase in the United States. Up here we use more woke language. We say Aboriginal or First Nations or Indigenous. Down in the States, they, they just plain old say she was an Indian. And she said she was an Indian and no one ever challenged her. And so she got the job, a job she didn't get on, on the merits of being a white woman. She wasn't good enough, but she got it in a racial set aside, but she's not that race. Now, it's one thing to criticize affirmative action and racial quotas, and I think many people oppose them because they're, well, they're racist by nature, and they reward people who had nothing wrong done to them, and they punish people who themselves did nothing wrong. They, they create new victims and new oppressors as an offset to past victims and past oppressors. It's like punishing children for the crimes of their parents, except for it's not even linked to a particular family. You take my meaning? But this is one level worse than that. See, this is someone lying to sneak into an affirmative action slot that doesn't belong to them. She didn't just steal this job from another white person. She stole it from the very American Indians that this quota was trying to help. You can, you can disagree with affirmative action, and I do disagree with it. But not only did she agree with it, she stole from the people it was supposed to help. It's like a rich person doing their grocery shopping at a food bank. You're cheating the very people the system was trying to help. And Elizabeth Warren did this for 10 years. She got a job at the University of Pennsylvania. That's a pretty good school, you know. Oh, but she had much bigger ambitions, didn't she? This is the deal with the devil. This is when she sold her soul. So she had the university change her official identity from white to Native American. And so they did. They were happy to. When she did her social climbing thing and then leapfrogged into Harvard, she lied to them, too. And they actually boasted of her as a woman of color. 
and she hit the circuit for Harvard. Don't think they didn't like this whole scam too because she was a woman of color hitting the promotional circuit for Harvard. Here, watch this as this white woman brags about how ethnic she is. Actually, you have it wrong about what it is, I believe. Mm -hmm. let's, let's start there. Tell us what Okay. My mom and dad uh, were very much in love with each other, and they wanted to get married. And my father's parents said, absolutely not. You can't marry her because she's part Cherokee and she's part Delaware. And um, after fighting it as long as they could, my parents went off. They eloped. It was an issue. Well, it sounds so painful. The racism her parents had to endure. I mean, just look at her mom. That dark, dark skin. What is she, Greek? She's she Italian? She is swarthy. It would be odious to any racist. I can see why she was so hated. Yeah, no, I, I think that woman is so white, Shakespeare would have called her alabaster. She's so white, she's pink. I got nothing against white people. I think I'm white too. Not as white as Elizabeth Warren and her mom. I mean, I'm not that white. She's so white, Inuit have to wear their traditional snow goggles, you know, with the slit in them so they're not blinded by the light. I'm white, but I ain't Elizabeth Warren white. That's Tide detergent with bleach white. That's so white the Klan says, ooh, you're making me uncomfortable. That's don't look directly into the sun white. I got nothing against it. Anyways, everyone kept playing along with his emperor has no clothes business, and Elizabeth Warren just got bolder and bolder because she could get away with it. She started submitting, get this, traditional Indian recipes in cookbooks. This is from the Pow Wow Chow cookbook. I'm not even kidding. It's signed Elizabeth Warren, Cherokee. Yeah, I can just imagine her mom and her in the teepee cooking up some of that traditional Cherokee soup and calling it powwow chow. She said that. Now by the time Elizabeth Warren was entering politics, a few people started to ask questions, not too pointed, not too persistently. I mean, look, this is Massachusetts. It's one of the most left-wing states. It's where John Kerry was from. Before that, it was where Mike Dukakis was from. Remember him? It was where the Kennedys are from. But she was asked gently, and she answered thusly. Warren says her great-great-great-grandmother is Cherokee, but genealogists have yet to confirm that. Warren referenced a photo of her grandfather on her mantle as part of the family lore. My Aunt B has walked by that picture at least a thousand times, remarked that, he, that her father, my papa, had high cheekbones like all of the Indians do, because that's how she saw it. And she said, and your mother got those same great cheekbones, and I didn't. She thought this was the bad deal she had gotten in life. Is that how people talk about their own race? My Aunt B says she wanted high cheekbones like all of the Indians do. Is that how people talk? Look, I got a bit of a schnoz, let's be honest. Like all of the Jews do. Do, do people say that? Do, 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 really? High cheekbones like all of the Indians do. Do, do you see what I mean? That, that doesn't seem to ring true. Like Bernie Sanders was naturally in his own skin, right? I mean, Bernie Sanders looked like a mess, but he didn't, he, he didn't say, you know what, I, I have an accent like some of the Jews do. 
He, he, was just, he was just him. I have high cheekbones like the Indians do. It's a bit Clintonian, isn't it? It was a bit of over-explaining, but also under-explaining, isn't it? It's weird. Some of Elizabeth Warren's own family called her out for her BS. How embarrassing is that? Warren's extended family split about heritage. Some recall, others deny any links to Native Americans. That's a story from 2012 when she was in a fight for the Senate. That's when she entered the Senate and her Republican opponent raised the issue, not really as a race thing, uh, but as a lying thing. Let me read this line from the Boston Globe. In the absence of documentation, the family's link to any Native American tribe is a matter of narrative, inheritance, or folklore, as Warren puts it. Even if Warren has some degree of Native American blood, it is unclear if it would meet conventional standards of what constitutes a minority. Warren's reluctance to talk about it or to explore possible documentation reflects the complex questions about biography and childhood memory that have percolated through the bitterly fought race for the Senate seat. Yeah, is that true? Does she seem reluctant to talk about how Indian she is? Not only did she use it to get ahead, she let Harvard use it. So everyone benefited from her lie. She got a job that she otherwise wouldn't be qualified to get, a job that opened doors that led her to the Senate. Harvard could pretend it actually let in a minority woman. I love this from a law review article from Fordham Law Review. Harvard Law School hired its first woman of color, Elizabeth Warren, in 1995. Look at the next few lines. Why would it make a difference to have women of color as professors? And then the article goes on to answer how important it is. So they, they were all in on it. Everyone loved the emperor's new clothes. Elizabeth Warren was actually better than other professors because she was a minority. She could really, really relate to other women of color. Let's say you're a young woman from the ghetto, perhaps. I, I mean, there's a real sisterhood. You could just tell between Snow White here and someone growing up in the projects in Harlem. God bless you, Elizabeth Warren. You were such a trailblazer for visible minorities. Look, but this was all play fighting because the left love affirmative action anyways, and they love pretending to care about minorities, but not really caring. I mean, look at how they attack Kanye West, who actually is black, for daring to even talk with Donald Trump. How dare he let a real woman of color like Elizabeth Warren speak for the minorities. Kanye West, you've said enough. Let a real minority like Elizabeth Warren speak for black people. Anyway, so that was in the past and it was in Massachusetts, and they're not gonna be tough on a Democrat. They love her uh, more than they love actual Indians. I don't even know if they really have any Indians in Boston. Uh, and so it's, it's rude to ask questions, isn't it? What are, you, what are you, racist? You don't think she's black? You don't think she's a woman of color? You don't think she's Aboriginal? That's usually enough to shut people up, right? Until Donald Trump came along. He loves saying what everybody else is thinking, but nobody has the guts to say. He's the kid who would say the emperor has no clothes. Do you remember the actual moment he did with Elizabeth Warren? I do. I do. Donald Trump was campaigning for the Republican nomination. I don't think he had formally locked it up yet. It was May of 2016. He, was, he had the momentum, and he was in North Dakota. Just take a look at this. Warren, she seems to have made it her job. Who, Pocahontas? <laughs> Pocahontas? Well, no, she's... Look, look, she is... She is it's very is, offensive. You tell me, oh. Oh, really? Oh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, Pocahontas? Is that what you said? 
Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren. She is. No, no. She tweets a lot about me. Every once in a while, I'll tweet. And when I tweet, you know, not that many people are watching her tweets. When I tweet, they watch. I will say this. Look, uh, she is a senator that's highly overrated. She's passed very little legislation. She has been a real disaster for a lot of people, including the Democrats, who frankly can't stand her. Many of the Democrats just ask Hillary Clinton how she likes her. And I would say this. I'll debate anybody. I don't care. I'd debate her. Uh, but she's done very little for Massachusetts. And the beautiful thing is when I won Massachusetts with many people running against me, I got up to almost 50 percent. Then she was fighting me. So I, I really think if her record was exposed and the fact that she was a Native American, she said she was Native American, but she wasn't able to document it. She said, well, I have high cheekbones. You see, I have high cheekbones. So I'm a Native American. And she then I don't know if you'd call it a fraud or not. But she was able to get into various schools because of the fact she applied as a Native American and probably able to get other things. I think she's as Native American as I am, okay? That I will tell you. But she's a woman that's been very ineffective other than she's got a big mouth. He really said it all, didn't he? He even mocked the cheekbones thing. And he didn't blink, he didn't wince, he said it. He didn't care that that reporter in the room, she was a Canadian actually, who was down in North Dakota for some reason, Remember that reporter hollered out, that's offensive, oh, that's offensive. Did you hear that part at the beginning? After she hollered that at him, he repeated the word Pocahontas. Don't tell Donald Trump not to say something. He'll say it right again. And he's used it endlessly since then. Not because he's anti-Indian. The opposite, he's mocking the fact that she's anti-Indian. She stole a job that was set aside for an Indian. She's anti-Indian, pretending to be Indian, to take advantage of it. This is actually cultural appropriation, isn't it? Now, it can be a bit cringy, how we keep saying Pocahontas, Pocahontas. At least for politically correct people, they hate it. Now, I admit when Trump was at a ceremony at the White House for U.S. military veterans who were Indian, he couldn't help but he said it. Now, it was a bit awkward, for me at least, what do you think of this? And I just want to thank you because you're very, very special people. You were here long before any of us were here. Although we have a representative in Congress who they say was here a long time ago. They call her Pocahontas. But you know what? I like you because you are special. You are special people. You are really incredible people. And I have to, from the heart, from the absolute heart, we appreciate what you've done, how you've done it, the bravery that you displayed, and the love that you have for your country. I, I, th I think he realized he was going in the wrong direction, so he really pulled it back. But those veterans were later asked about that, and they said they didn't care. They didn't mind. You see, it's only white liberals who do the cringing and complaining about that. Those vets just love being in the White House with a president who supports vets for once. But Trump wouldn't stop saying that. Pocahontas, Pocahontas, Pocahontas. Now, why would he stop? Because the media tells him to? Look, he got a laugh. It's funny, you gotta admit. But it proves a point. It showed the fraud of racial set-asides. And I bet a million people in America who have felt overlooked that they were discriminated against because of affirmative action thought, hey, maybe this Trump guy will fight this politically correct system for me that I don't even dare speak out against.
And maybe he'll challenge the sacred cows like affirmative action. And indeed he did. And indeed he kept at it. And he even challenged Warren to take a DNA test. And he said he'd pay her a million bucks if she was really an Indian. Oh, Trump knows how to use the media, don't he? And obviously this Pocahontas thing stuck. It branded her. He just didn't stop calling her Pocahontas. He's wicked with the nicknames. Will you admit that? Crooked Hillary, low energy Jeb. He is brutal. And Pocahontas absolutely stuck. So you'll never believe it. She actually took his challenge. She actually took a DNA test. She actually took the bait. She did it. She actually did what Trump surely never in a million years thought she would do. And then yesterday, she released the results to that friendly hometown newspaper, the Boston Globe. Bottom line, my heritage <laughs> played no role in my hiring ever. Now the Boston Globe uh, reviewed, oh, let me here, the Boston Globe reviewed all their evidence, their verdict at every step of her remarkable rise in the legal profession, the people responsible for hiring her saw her as a white woman. Yeah, that, that's just not true, and we know it's not true. It's actually the central characteristic of why she was hired. She claimed she was a woman of color. There were law review journals filled with stories about it. She did TV shows about it. Universities bragged about it. It's why she was hired at Harvard, and not a white male or a white female who didn't lie. But Trump got her to take that DNA test and here's the Boston Globe story about the DNA test. She, was, she gave her DNA test to them as an exclusive, thinking it would help her. Let me read this. Senator Elizabeth Warren releases results of DNA test. Senator Elizabeth Warren has released a DNA test that provides strong evidence. She had a Native American in her family tree dating back six to ten generations. An unprecedented move by one of the top possible contenders for the 2020 Democratic nomination for president. Strong evidence, eh? Strong evidence. Let me read some more. The analysis of Warren's DNA was done by Carlos Bustamante, a Stanford University professor and expert in the field who won a 2010 MacArthur Fellowship, also known as a Genius Grant, for his work on tracking population migration via DNA analysis. So you know the Boston Globe is doing some heavy lifting here. He concluded that the vast majority of Warren's ancestry is, is European. Oh, hang on. This is going off the rails. But he added that the results strongly support the existence of an unadmixed Native American ancestor. What does that mean in English, please? Well, the Globe and Mail helps. The generational range based on the ancestor that the report identified suggests she's between 164th and 1,124th Native American. 1,124th Indian. So not, not, a, not a half not a quarter, like one, one grandparent, not an eighth, that would be one great-great-grandparent, not a sixteenth, that would be one great-great, one thirty-second, one sixty-fourth, one one hundred twentieth, one two hundred fifty-sixth, one one-thousandth. I'm two hundred fifty pounds. I had three ounces of eggs for lunch. I am more egg than she's Indian as a percentage of my mass. I am an egg. 
Now, she took some saliva DNA test, and she's one 1,000th Indian. But read a little bit deeper. You, I'm not done yet. Right near the bottom of the story. To make up for the dearth of Native American DNA, Bustamante used samples from Mexico, Peru, and Colombia to stand in for Native American? It's because scientists believe that the group's Americans referred to as Native American came to this land via the Bering Strait about 12,000 years ago and settled in what's now America, but also migrated further south. So this genius geneticist di didn't actually test if, if she's Native American. He tested if she was Peruvian or, or Colombian. And maybe she has one one thousandth of, the, of her from Peru or, or Colombia. So she actually might have zero Native Indian. Yeah, she's a white girl. Nothing against them. And she thought this was a good idea to actually take the test. Okay, fine. No one, ha no one knew you took it. And then, and then she released it. And then she went to the media with it and leaned in. And then she put out a 30-tweet rant about it, just on and on and on and on and on and on about her DNA. Oh my God, she took the bait. Donald Trump broke her. She has absolutely embraced Pocahontas. 20, 30 tweets about being Pocahontas. Is she crazy? I don't know, I think Donald Trump broke her. I think he drove her mad. Just with the word, Pocahontas. Yeah, yeah, I know the media is trying to clean it up for her. Here's a Twitter headline. Senator Elizabeth Warren has released the results of a DNA test which shows strong evidence of her Native American ancestry. That's an official Twitter headline. But that's not actually what the evidence shows, is it? She's one 1,024th Peruvian or something. Is that strong evidence? Here's the Daily Beast, another lefty mag. Elizabeth Warren releases her DNA test. Yes, she is a Native American. Yeah, no, that ain't quite true, is it? I mean, the white liberals believe it. But here's a press release by the Cherokee Nation actual Indians that she claims to be one of. I'll just quote the last two lines from their press release. They say, it makes a mockery out of DNA tests and its legitimate uses while also dishonoring legitimate tribal governments and their citizens whose ancestors are well documented and whose heritage is proven. Senator Warren is undermining tribal interests with her continued claims of tribal heritage. It's okay guys, you can use the word liar. But that's sort of white privilege, isn't it? saying you're Cherokee, even if you're not. And they say you're not. I mean, sure, if you love her anyways, Snow White, look at her, just like the driven snow, eh? You'll believe whatever lies there. I mean, if you actually believed in advance that this blonde-haired, blue-eyed, light-skinned lady was a woman of color before, why would you change your mind now? But for the rest of us not in the media political cult, yeah, she's a white girl. Nothing wrong with that. Just don't lie. Now here's another senator, another white senator. Not quite as white as Elizabeth Warren. I think he's got a bit of a tan, but he's pretty white. He's having some fun. Take a look at the tweet he made yesterday. That's Orrin Hatch from Utah. <laughs> pretty white guy, white hair. And he says, these DNA tests are quite something. And <laughs> the picture on the right, DNA test results. One 1,032nd T-Rex. 
the rest, other dinosaurs. Now, I don't even really get it, but I think it's pretty funny. Everyone's laughing at the Democrats, except the media, because they are Democrats. So we're laughing at them, too. And let me close with that. The best way to defeat a leftist is not by being all serious. Sometimes it is. Not by granting them moral authority. Sometimes it is. But I think increasingly it's doing what Donald Trump did, saying the obvious truth that we all know, but that we were all afraid to say, Pocahontas. I just wish we'd have some conservatives in Canada who would fight the way Trump fights. It's obviously not Andrew Scheer, and I don't think it's Jason Kenney. Maybe it's Doug Ford. One can only hope. Stay with us for more. Welcome back. Well, as you may know, there is a technical definition of the word refugee. It's not just someone who calls himself a refugee under the United Nations rules themselves. You have to be fleeing an imminent danger based on some characteristics such as your race or religion. Therefore, to say that there are millions of Palestinian refugees living in Jordan, Lebanon, places like that is just simply technically False. In fact, the actual number of Palestinian refugees or Palestinians who were displaced when the state of Israel was created is about 20,000 souls. The rest who were counted by the UN are the descendants of refugees, and they're no more refugees than I suppose I am if my own family left troubled parts of Europe a century ago. The reason I mention this is because Palestinian refugees are an industry into themselves, a multi-billion dollar industry, and an excuse to be weaponized against the state of Israel. Donald Trump has recently recognized this and has reduced American support for the Palestinian Authority, including for the UN Refugee Works Agency that pumps money into Hamas-controlled schools on the West, uh, in, in the Gaza Strip. But Canada has decided to fill that gap. Joining me now to talk about this is Hillel Neuer, the executive director of the leading NGO called UN Watch. He joins us now via Skype from Geneva. Hillel, what a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Now, what would you say about my preamble there? Do I accurately sum up the situation? While there are millions of people who call themselves refugees, they don't meet the traditional definition. They have not been displaced. They have not been kicked out. They are descendants of refugees. There's actually only 20,000 souls who themselves were displaced by the creation of Israel. What do you, what do you make of that assertion by me? Well, I, I, I think there are uh, several anomalies that uh, UNRWA has never explained, nor its donors, which today are the EU states and Canada. Uh, one anomaly is in Jordan. In Jordan claims to have some 2 million Palestinians who are registered by UNRWA, the special agency for Palestinians as quote-unquote refugees. A large majority of these two million individuals have Jordanian citizenship. So if you are a Jordanian citizen, uh, how are you a refugee? The uh, definition of the regular UN Refugee Agency, which is across the street from where I'm speaking to you right now, is that if you've found shelter somewhere, you're not under threat, and you have residency and citizenship of that new country, like you gave an example of your family, my family fled to Canada, 
1904, fleeing persecution from the Russian Tsar, and were welcomed in Canada, and no longer was a refugee. And, and my great-grandfather's children and grandchildren are not refugees. But somehow UNRWA has treated Palestinians who fled for whatever reason, either because of war or because Arab leaders told them to flee so they could destroy Israel. They went to Jordan. They're Jordanian citizens. I was told that there's, in fact, Palestinians who live here in Switzerland who may live in Zurich and have a Swiss passport and yet be called Palestinian refugees. It makes no sense. There are other anomalies. I'll just mention one, which is that Palestinians who live in the West Bank and Gaza, in what the UN calls the state of Palestine, what I would call the Palestinian Authority, they too are called refugees. Now, if you're living in Palestine, whether it's Gaza or, or parts of the West Bank, how are you possibly a refugee? Where are you a refugee from? Well, it seems like they're saying you're a refugee from Israel. And uh, at the end of the day, what we're looking at is a situation that has nothing to do with any other categorization that the United Nations has for refugees around the world, but it's really, as you said, Ezra, it's a tool to weaponize these individuals as pawns, as a political tool, a cynical tool, to use them in a war against Israel. And it's something that UNRWA officials at rare moments of candor, dating back to the early 1950s, there are quotes from some UNRWA officials who said, we know exactly what's going on. These are Palestinians who have fled into nearby countries, Lebanon, Jordan, Syria, and elsewhere. And they're not being resettled. I mean, the most normal, humane, decent thing would be for them to resettle. If we take an example of, of uh, the United Empire loyalists, people from, from the United States of America who fled, they didn't, they didn't want to give up being loyal to the British crown. They fled to Canada. And they were welcomed as people who were, you know, speaking the same tongue, neighbors. And uh, the normal thing, what Canada was, proto-Canada did, was take them in. And if Americans were fleeing and came to Canada, they would be taken in and they would be integrated in Canada. Uh, and so the most normal thing for Arabs living in what historically was considered greater Syria, when they left a part of Palestine and went to Lebanon, the most normal thing, these are uh, Arabs speaking Arabic, Muslims, the most normal thing would be for them to be resettled. And one of the most cruel acts by the Arab world is that these individuals were never resettled. And they're being kept in so-called refugee camps only to use it as a grievance. It's part of the grievance politics of the world to attack the state of Israel. Yeah. You know, when I was in Israel last, we had a little a rebel mission to Israel this uh, June, July. Uh, we saw what was called a refugee camp, but is indistinguishable from a regular urban neighborhood. We were standing in Jerusalem. We saw apartment buildings, streets, schools, everything. When you hear refugee camp, you think temporary tents, people living somewhere until they can find a, you know, a bricks and mortar house. These so-called refugee camps are bricks and mortar houses. And it's, it's just a, a lot of euphemisms, but you're, I think you, you, you sum it up well. The reason we've invited you on today, and I appreciate you talking about this background story, is to talk about this UN agency uh, it's, it's a difficult acronym. It's UNRWA, pronounced UNRWA, United Nations Relief Works Agency for, for Palestinians. They teach anti-Semitism and anti-Israel extremism to young Palestinian kids in Gaza. Can you, can you tell us the evidence for that charge? I'm aware of it, but our viewers might not be. And can, can sure. you tell me what's been exposed about how this UN agency is actually trying to radicalize Palestinian kids? 
Well, I think what's important for people to understand is this is a UN agency unlike any other in several ways. Well, first, as I said, the UN Refugee Agency, the UNHCR across the street from my office, is the organization responsible for refugees around the world. If people are fleeing war in Syria or in Sudan or in Somalia, it's the UN Refugee Agency that will take them and try to resettle them, try to find them a home, whether it's in other parts of Africa, in Canada, in Europe, what have you. UNRWA is different. It's not trying to resettle these people anywhere, even if they have been resettled somewhere. The whole point is for them to keep keep them on the rolls and their kids and their grandchildren on the rolls as refugees. And um, what we found with UNRWA, and I'll say, you know, we at UN Watch did something very discreet and very something very focused, where we just went on the went on Facebook and we typed in UNRWA teachers. And we found dozens and dozens and dozens of UNRWA teachers. They're on Facebook. You see their name, Nasim, Abu, Ganim, and you see them all on Facebook. And you flip on their Facebook page and you see them in school at UNRWA. And you see that you see them in Arabic, which you can translate easily using Google or some other tool. And here they are with the kids teaching, teaching them in Gaza or in Lebanon or in Syria or in Jordan. And then you keep, you keep skimming on this guy's Facebook feed and you suddenly see a picture of Adolf Hitler. And he'll say something like, Adolf Hitler was a great guy, too bad he didn't kill more Jews. Or you'll see a picture of a Hamas terrorist who just stabbed Jews, killed Jews in Jerusalem. And they'll say, amazing, praise be to Allah for killing these Jews in Jerusalem. We documented Ezra dozens and dozens of cases of UNRWA principals and teachers and other employees who openly incite to jihadist terrorism uh, and overt anti-Semitism, as I said, praising Hitler, saying he didn't kill enough. Now, if in Canada, and these things happen, if it was found that a teacher was preaching anti-Semitism or jihadist terrorism, that gentleman would be barred from teaching for life. That happened in England, it happened in Canada, it happened in the United States. We brought this information to light and UNRWA response has been one of a few things. Either they say, this is all lies, it never happened, that the Facebook accounts are false. Is if people are putting up false Facebook accounts of people named Muhammad Abu Ghanim with pictures uh, in front of an UNRWA classroom in Gaza. I mean. So that was part of UNRWA's response is that these Facebook accounts are false, right? They buried their hand in the sand. The other part of the response by spokesman Chris Gunnis was to attack us, UN Watch, for having dared to expose these forms of hatred and racism. Finally, they would say, if forced, they would say, ah, well, we're going to investigate it, right? You don't need much investigation. You see who the teacher is, you see what, what his views are. And then they would say, well, you know, now his Facebook post has been deleted, right? So we, we brought these complaints to Canada. I'm Canadian. I went to Parliament a year ago, and we published a major report uh, called Enhanced Due Diligence, as Canada, when they renewed their funding the past couple of years, said they're going to enforce enhanced due diligence. And it seems to be the case that all that Canada is doing is encouraging UNRWA to have their teachers delete or hide a few of these posts by using privacy settings, rather than dealing with the issue. The issue is that UNRWA is hiring pro Hitler teachers. And the fact that you teach him how to do privacy settings so that we can no longer see what's on his page or that he deletes the post doesn't get to the crux of the issue. Why is a pro Hitler teacher teaching at UNRWA? And so I'm very concerned with Canada's uh, funding of this agency. Well, and that's the thing is there's a new statement uh, from Global Affairs Canada, and we can put it up uh, on the screen for our viewers to see, um, that Justin Trudeau, and this is just October 12th, Canada is committed to providing humanitarian assistance and responding to the needs of the poorest and the most vulnerable. Well, who could disagree with that? But if you look here, it's millions of dollars to this same agency. 
the Honorable Marie-Claude Bibeau, Minister of International Development, today announced Canada's support of up to $50 million through UNRWA. And it goes on to particularize that. Donald Trump has been getting a little bit tough with this UN agency, with the Palestinians, for their intransigence. It almost looks like Justin Trudeau is saying to the Palestinians, don't you worry about it. Every dollar Donald Trump takes away from you will just give you a Canadian dollar. That's how it looks to me. It, it, it feels like Trudeau is doing the anti-Trump thing, which he does so often, whether it's open borders or, or something else. Am I reading too much into it? But this is new money, isn't it? This is actually ramping up our spending, isn't it? It's, it's hard to count the numbers, actually, because Canada had announced about a year or two ago, 25 million. And this recent announcement of 50 million may be spaced over two years. So it's not clear if it's the same amount of money. They've also announced an additional 12 and a half million for a group called, I think it's called Power to Play. Um, and it's a group that trains teachers. And I think it's based in Canada. Uh, we found that one of these teachers who was on the Facebook getting a certificate from this organization was then posting uh, incitement to stab people. Uh, so I wrote to that organization a year ago, and again, I say I believe it's based, based in Canada, and uh, the, the organization never responded to us. So this organization doesn't really care the fact that these teachers that they're certifying are teaching murder of Jews. Uh, my concern with the Canadian government is that um, it's one thing to make a case for why they need to fund UNRWA, and there's an argument to be made that there are Palestinians UNRWA is the agency taking care of them, and, and maybe there's a lot of things that are wrong, but okay, we need to fund them. You know, I can, I can get it, there'd be some argument there, but at the same time, to ignore the fact that they're hiring teachers who are support the Nazis and whose call for the murder of Jews is outrageous. And what we get from Canada is really a kind of um, you know, spin saying, well, we, we're also have given money to train them on social media. The issue isn't training them how to use social media and how to change their privacy controls. The issue is very simple, is why is this organization not hiring one or two, but I'm talking about dozens and dozens and dozens of teachers and principals who support jihadist terrorism and the most vile forms of anti-Semitism. Canada would not tolerate it at home. European countries are not tolerated. And there is no explanation why Canada doesn't say, well, look, okay, we've given them money because we think it's important, but we're outraged and we condemn the fact and we urge them to examine this systematic thing. Canada doesn't do that. They're really hiding the problem. They'll yeah. throw in a a, yeah. a, a a brief comment, which is just meant to keep people quiet. And I just want to, you know, make one more point, which is that Canada next month, the Prime Minister Trudeau has announced several times that he's going to apologize for Canadian actions in 1939 when they refused to allow a ship called the St. Louis to dock in Canada, which was carrying Jewish refugees fleeing from, from uh, Hitler. Germany in 1939, and Canada, along with other countries, sent the ship back, and and those individuals met a terrible fate. And you know, it's fine for Canada to apologize. I, I'm Jewish, and I had family who couldn't come to Canada. Uh, couldn't we, we came to Canada in 1904, and there was there were members of the family who did want to come during World War II. They could not. So you know, maybe there's a role in apologizing. But if if Trudeau's going to apologize, don't apologize for something that he didn't do, that Mackenzie King did in 1939. Apologize for things that he's doing. Trudeau should apologize for what he just did now to get 50 million or 62 and a half million dollars to an organization that knowingly systematically employs pro-Nazi teachers. Apologize for that. Yeah, what a great yeah. point. Well, Hillel Neuer, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show and uh, you've given us a lot to think about. I'm gonna study this due diligence that you have done on UNRWA and it's 
shocking but not surprising to me that the official response was, well, we'll teach them how to keep their politics secret. Instead of fixing the problem, to cover it up, that is absolutely unsurprising, but it is still shocking. Thank you so much for being here today, and keep up the great work at UN Watch. Thank you. All right, there you have it. Hillel Neuer is the executive director of UN Watch, the leading skeptics about the United Nations. They're an NGO based in Switzerland. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Hey, welcome back on my monologue last night. John Williams commented, a compilation of all Trump's successes may be in order, starting with the freeing of 17 hostages in the first two years. The list is long, and I hope the midterms show people see past uh, the editorial agenda of the left's media and realize he's turned out to be a bold leader who's making America a great place after eight years of Obama's tepid cliches and weakness in the eyes of the world. Leaders, good and bad. Um, look, I think that if you take away personality quirks, just measuring quantity, how do you quantify a presidency? GDP, economics, I, I think there's got to be some way about quantifying his foreign policy successes. Um, North Korea looks like it's turning into a success. Um, I don't think you see uh, ISIS on the march anymore. They're being crushed. I don't think Russia would dare invade Georgia or uh, try to annex part of Ukraine with Trump on watch. Look, put aside the quirks if you don't like his personality. I think just mathematically, you've got to say he's being a success. Keith Barnes commented and said, Trump will go down in history as one of the best presidents ever. It would be interesting to know how many Democrats will vote for him at the midterms. Well, you know what? I got to, you know, remember I told you about Jack Tipple? I've shown his video probably five times. He's that steel worker from Indiana who was in that Steelworkers ad that I thought was just devastating. Anyhow, I became Facebook friends with him and I sent him a question and I think I scared him off, but I actually checked my Facebook. I don't check it often. And he wrote back to me and I said, Jack, you're a hardline Democrat. You did an ad for Hillary Clinton, or really for the Steelworkers. Has Trump moved you over? And I, you know what, I'll do a show with Jack Tipple's reply. Um, because this is a hardline Hillary Clinton activist, right? I mean, he cut a campaign ad against Trump and I said, well, how are you not going to love Trump now? What he's doing for your industry? I'll come back on this later. Uh, I'll ask my team to remind me. I want to show you what Jack Tipple wrote to me. Because we were Facebook buddies, and I guess I just missed his note back to me. I, I, I guess my, that's my way of saying, you know what? You're in a Rust Belt state. You're a blue-collar worker. You're an outdoors worker, hard hat, driving a truck, working in a mine, doing steel like Jack Tipple. You're voting for Trump next time. You're going to vote for Elizabeth Warren? On my interview with Avi Yamini, Lynn says, So pleased you will be in London for Tommy's trial, Avi. It is the only way we will hear the truth in Australia. The mainstream media is dead in our country. Thank you, Ezra, for giving Avi this opportunity to bring the truth back to Australia. Well, hey, thanks very much, Lynn. Um, I'm delighted to organize it, but uh, the credit goes to our viewers who crowdfund it. And in addition to myself, it looks like we'll have up to five journalists attending. And it looks like we'll have three camera people there because, you know, if there's like six of us yapping, we're going to need three cameras. I mean, we can't all stand in line for a camera. So I think there's going to be nine of us. And I call it Real Reporters. You can go to realreporters.uk. And I think I told you when I was in court last time, there were eight mainstream media journalists all hating Tommy. And then there was me. So I feel like I'm rolling with a posse now. And if we got nine on our side, we're outnumbering the mainstream media, aren't we? 
So thank you for your kind words. And listen, thanks to Avi, who's getting on a plane, what is that, 25 hours each way? I don't know, from Melbourne to London. That's a long trip. So credit to him. He's hopping on a plane, and he's flying economy, uh, 50 hours round trip to spend time in court. So kudos to him, and I'm sure he'll do a great job. That's where I'm going to be on Tuesday, by the way. Anyways, that's it for today. Uh, by Tuesday, I mean uh, the 23rd. All right, well, that's it for today. Thank you for joining. I'm going to remember to uh, do a show on Jack Tipple, the steelworker's letter to me. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Her Headquarters to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.